Okay, so I told you about a wedding that was wonderful last week, Jennifer and Aaron. <laughs> Evidently, they're not married. I didn't sign their certificate, so we have to sign it after church today. Yeah, just, just thought I would let everybody in on that. All right, uh, so once upon a time ago, all right, we're back. We're back in Jonah. We're going back and forth again between Peter, 1 Peter, Jonah. So doctrine with clarity, Peter. Doctrine with drama, Jonah. What's the doctrine? The strange God. So that's what we're doing. So now we're back into the drama of doctrine. We're back to Jonah. So once upon a time ago, I had old school dar uh, dumbbells, not to be confused with a barbell. A barbell is a long 45-pound bar, Olympic bar. Uh, old school uh, dumbbells are short bars, uh, and old school meaning that uh, you attach the weight to them, and then you screw the screws on, the collars onto them, and you add whatever weight you want, and you get to work. That's the old school. Uh, today, though, good news, I have the more modern, high-tech, uh, high-class dumbbells, and that's just you have a rack, and, you know, what's your weight? Is it 20, 30, 40, 50, or my usual 300 for each arm? I go over and I grab and get to work. So that's usually it. So now we're back to the old school dumbbells. So back in the old school days, old school dumbbells, uh, spin the collars off one of them, throw the weights on I need, spin the collars back on, go to the next one, spin the collar off that one, pull off the weights, put the weights on I need, go to spin the other and it's stuck. You know, wouldn't you know, it's always stuck. Say, so, ah, no problem, no problem. I just simply grab a five-pound weight. It just needs a slight nudge in the right direction. It just maybe the paint or something got stuck. So I bang it, uh, and nothing happens. So I just bang it a little harder, and, and I think it moved. Okay, I'm, I'm, that's the right direction. So I start banging away, and nothing. It's not happening. I'm like, ah, this is not good. So I need a more precision tool. So I go over and I see, oh, the hammer, the hammer works. So I go over and I, I grab the hammer. You need precision tool. You need blunt force trauma in a specific place. So it's bang, bang, bang. Uh, paint flecks are flying everywhere. They're just the paint that was on, the nice collars are, are everywhere. And then I start watching uh, steel, metal, shear off as I'm banging each one, and I bang it again, bang, 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 and now I'm watching the, the collar end start to move and mold and bend, and then it hit me. Am I, am I turning this in the right direction? One hit in the opposite direction, bzzz, it bizzed off, right? Now, bang, Bang, bang. You try to make your life work. Bang, bang, bang. You try to figure life out. You try to find meaning in life. You try to figure out what it's all about. Uh, you try to find your way in life. You try to do school. You try to do what's right. You try to feel better. You try to forgive, you try to find friends, you try to fix relationships. Bang, bang, bang. You try to connect to God. You try to obey Him more. You try to trust Him more, have more faith. You try to be in the center of His will. Bang, bang, bang. You try to connect with people. You try to connect with a parent, a child, your spouse, a friend. 
you try to connect to meaningful work and a mission in life. You wrestle with the culture. You don't know what to do. Bang, bang, bang. You try to make life work. Have you ever wondered, am I trying to turn this the wrong way? Here's the good news. This text is actually for everyone that thinks that way. This text is for those who are trying to make life work. So if you're trying to make life work, this text is for you. If you're trying to turn it the wrong way, this text is absolutely for you. So let's stand for the hearing of God's word. It's a short text. It's 3, 1, verses 1 through 5. All right, here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, literally it says, Forty more days, forty more days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I bet he was passionate about this sermon. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that in such a graceless age that you would demonstrate the wonder, the power, the personal reality of your grace. You would do so in your word, in this text. You would do so by showing up. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the question is, am I trying to turn it the wrong way? The answer from today's text is yes. Yes, you are. Are you trying to turn it the wrong way? Today's text wants to make an absolute concrete statement. You are. You are. According to today's text, according to the Bible, according to God, getting this, like getting this with clarity in your mind and realness in your heart. I'm trying to turn it the wrong way is finally living in reality about yourself. Getting this according to the Bible, according to Jonah, according to God. Getting that I'm trying to turn it the wrong way. Getting that deep into your bones is what this text calls repentance. Now, just to be clear so that we're understanding what's happening here, I'm not coming up with this message from the text. It's actually a great thing. Sometimes you wrestle with the text, and you're like, I did. I wrestled with the text for a long time this week, and I'm like, all right, what's the, what's the dominant thought? What's the main idea? What's the speech act for those of you at the Redeemer Institute? I'm like, what is this text saying? And then what is this text doing with what it's saying? And I kept looking and searching, and when you do narrative, it's harder to find it. You know, if you do... Peter, it's easy. Follow the main verbs. Look at all the supporting ideas. Itemize them. Bingo. Presto. You got it. Great stuff. But narrative, story, images, it's just a little different. And then all of a sudden, I read Jesus' commentary on this passage. Jesus actually is preaching a sermon on this text. And he gives the subject. He gives the dominant thought. Here's what he says. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah, 
is among you. So according to Jesus, the meaning, the message of this text is repentance. And now I know I just scared a bunch of you. Of course, of course, repentance, good night. Repent, repent, repent. Do you have a sign too in New York City? Or how about on TV at the end of the end zone, I have to see every time a field goal gets kicked. Oh, God is watching me. Repentance. Some of you are now feeling bad. I am bad. I already know that. Repentance. Some of you right now are confused. What does repentance even mean? I mean, seriously, everyone that I'm around in church or when I grew up in Sunday school or in campus ministry or it on TV or at a Bible conference or in a book. Everybody talks about repentance and they all pretend like they know what it means. What is repentance? Repentance. Some of you are paralyzed right now. I'm not any good at it. I'm not good at repentance. I don't feel bad enough like I'm supposed to feel. I don't change enough like I'm supposed to change. Repentance. Some of you are serious right now. You must repent. You must confess your sin. You must change your mind about sin. You must hate your sin. You must forsake your sin. You must leave your life of sin. You must sin no more. What is repentance? Okay, so this is going to be the first sermon that actually comes with a, a money-back guarantee I've ever done. You ready? A money-back guarantee. It's a big deal. I'm going to give you three guarantees. You get your money back. Here's the guarantee. Guarantee number one. First, guarantee. Most Christians, most churches, what, 90% do not know what repentance means. So here's the point. Relax. Absolutely relax. Forget what you've been told about Repentance. Second guarantee, you don't know what repentance is, so relax. Forget everything you think or know about repentance. Third guarantee, repentance is better than you think, so relax. Be curious. Sila, let's listen, let's learn from the text what repentance is and And be surprised that your curiosity will turn to astonishment. Oh, my. That's what it is. What is repentance? All right, let's look at verse 1 together. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That's absolutely strange. What's strange? The second time. Do you see that? The second time. Nowhere Ever in the history of the Bible is that ever said of a prophet. Ever. Because for prophets in the Old Testament, there's never a second time. There's obey me or die. And everybody knew that. Well, how did everybody know that? Why did, how do you know Jonah knew that? Because remember when the sailors asked him, what must we do to you to stop this storm? He says, this is what he says. You must pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. But God wouldn't let Jonah die. 
But God gave Jonah a second time. Strange. Never happens. Never. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Hopefully you have a footnote in yours. It doesn't have one up there. That right after the great city. Do you have a footnote in your Bible? It should say this, because in the Hebrew, it actually continues. It actually says, an exceedingly great city to the Elohim, plural. Those of you that were in theology after dark know that, oh no, is he going to say something about Elohim in the plural? Because Elohim in the plural has two meanings. It can either mean exceedingly great city to God, or exceedingly great city to the gods. And if it means to the gods, it means to the disloyal celestial beings in the otherworldly, unseen, invisible world. It's an exceedingly great city to the demonic, to the principalities that Paul was here, to the principalities and dark powers and thrones and unseen places. And if you lived in the ancient world, you'd be like, oh, it's that meaning. Absolutely but we don't know. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city to the gods, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, 40 more days, <laughs> and you'll be overthrown. What is Nineveh? Nineveh is the most evil place on the planet, and everybody knows it. Everyone. No debate. Even modern historians say Nineveh, Assyria, is one of the top five most evil empires to ever exist in the human race. So what's Jonah's mission? Well, it's to go there. Okay, now remember, Jonah, though, is an Israelite. So Jonah's a Jew. The Assyrians hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Assyrians. So Jonah's mission is to walk down the streets of Nazi Germany. Right down the middle of the heart of the capital of Berlin, into the heart of Hitler's headquarters. And what's his mission? His mission isn't some secret CIA sabotage. His mission is to proclaim publicly through every street, every house, every market, proclaim loudly, pub publicly, 40 more days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's breathtaking. And this message is amazing. Do you see it? Look, 40 more days, and then it will be overthrown. That's eight words in English. That's five words in Hebrew. Out all the conjunctions and all those little small words in there, those throwaway words we use. 40 more days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Do you see the 40 days? You know what that points to? Now, you've got to put yourself in the ancient world because every ancient civilization has a historical record of a cosmic catastrophic, universal, global flood. Every ancient history. So they know what that is. And everyone knew that the cosmic, catastrophic, global flood was the sentence, the storm, the ultimate storm that God sends on sin. 
And everyone already knew, though, in that culture, they already knew that deep down, whether it was on the surface of their life, that it actually invaded their thinking and invaded their feelings and kind of invaded their relationships, got into their work, got into their friendships, got into their communities, got into their guilds. Sometimes it was on the surface, but most of the time, maybe probably for Assyria, for Nineveh, it was in the deep, in the subconsciousness of their heart. They have so suppressed it and held it and have so many layers of self-protective layers that they've been able to hold it. But every once in a while, it's like they can't hold it and it breaks to the surface of their life. And you're asking, what are you talking about, Jeff? What I'm talking about is every human being like you and me knows there's a cosmic sentence of condemnation for sin. We all do. It's what really gets us psychologically. It's what invades our thinking and our feelings on the surface, but then again, we we subconsciously have it buried, and then things happen in life, and it rises to the surface. We all know this, so it's not like we're saying something. This text is not saying something that's foreign to the original Ninevite or foreign to the original Israelite hearer or foreign to the modern hearer that hears it now. Once we get into the meaning of what this is, word, the sermon is actually saying, every human being goes, oh yeah, intuitively, yeah. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What does this message do? Do you see what it does? Those of you that, again, that are in the Institute, this is really important. We talk about speech act. God's words are a speech act. When God speaks, he gets things done. When he says something, he's actually doing something. When he says something, he's doing something, and he's present in it. So God's words are his personal active presence in your world, in your relationships, in your life. God's word releases the personal active presence of God in the world. So a speech act is saying, what is God speaking? What's he saying? And then what is he doing with what he's saying? So what are these words doing? Do they do anything? Do they just convey information? Hey, 40 more days, you're toast. Is that all these words are doing? They actually do something, because look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them down to the least of them. Literally, it overthrows them. It overthrows their thinking of themselves. All of a sudden, they start thinking rightly of themselves. How do we know they're thinking rightly of themselves? Because they fast. A fast is the expression. It's a, it's a ritual. It's a routine. It's a, something that all civilizations practice. Notice. All do. And what a fast has always symbolized in the ancient world and the modern world is, I need. I'm hungry. I lack. I'm unable. I need. Then he put on sackcloth and it goes like this. I'm stained with sin. I'm the chief of sinners. Amazing sermon. What does this message do to them? Well, we now know, because of what Jesus says, it actually gives them repentance. It gives them the gift of repentance. They actually start, their understanding of themselves gets overthrown, and they now are living in reality about who they are. And for some of us, again, 
remember what we're thinking. This is scary. This is confusing. This is serious. This is paralyzing. Now I feel really bad. But I want you to see <laughs> when repentance shows up, it's none of those things. You thought you knew what repentance was. Everyone in Nineveh has clarity in their mind and realness in their heart. They're all saying, I am stained with sin. I am the chief of sinners. I deserve to be overthrown. I deserve the flood. I deserve destruction. That's what I deserve. And again, this ends up being the most freeing, the most powerful, the most real thing that happens in Nineveh in all of its history. So I was watching the show the other night. You know, I got tired. I was like, I've been looking at it, waiting for season four to come out forever and ever and ever. I've waited, I think, a year, easily a year, waiting so I don't have to pay for it, right? But I couldn't. I was just like, I'm done. I'm paying for it. So I finally paid for it. I watched it. And I'm like, no, I probably shouldn't say that. But it was incredible. There's this one scene where uh, this boy is being trained to be a cowboy. And he doesn't have parents, he doesn't have anybody, and this guy that's training him had the same family situation. He grew up with no parents, he grew up being trained to be a cowboy, and he's telling this dude how to be a cowboy, and he's mucking all the stalls and doing all this grunt labor and all this work. You can see the kid is just like, is he going to handle it? Is he going to be able to take it? He's like, he feels like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to do this. And then the older, experienced cowboy says to him, do you know how you get through this? Do you know how you do your work, son? Do you know how you put one foot in front of the other and you get on in life, son? Do you know how you do the hard things, the meaningful things? Do you know how to really live, son? And the boy's looking at him. The way you do it is when you realize you don't deserve it, you're able to do it. Nineveh realizes they don't deserve come into reality they're seeing themselves for the first time in a right way they're no longer seeing themselves in this face, fake superiority this artificial strength that's devastated nations destroyed people's lives destroyed children everyone in Nineveh in other words is overthrown 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown where they're actually being overthrown right now. Before 40 days. They're actually repenting. Repentance, what is it? All right, here's Jonah's answer. The, the answer from Jonah is being overthrown. Uh, the doctrinal answer that I'm w- wanting to give you is finally living in reality about yourself. So Jonah's answer is you're overthrown. That's repentance. Uh, the doctrinal. Doctrinal takes a wide-angled lens of all the scripture. We'd say this. It's finally living in reality about yourself. When you finally live in reality about yourself, it's actually a great thing. And then here's the answer from, from the text for God, for you. Here's the answer for you. What this text wants to bring out of you is this. I am Nineveh. Jesus wants you to be able to feel deep in your bones, I am Nineveh. Does this scare you? Does this make you feel bad? 
I want you to see something. The deepest problem in Jonah's life, let's, let's transition to Jonah just for a bit. What's his deepest problem? Because right now he's obeying, right? The second time he gets up and he obeys. But then we know in verse four, in chapter 4, though, that when God does spare them and doesn't destroy them, he throws a spiritual temper tantrum, right? He, what's inside his heart actually starts coming out. So you've got to ask yourself, what's his problem? Like, why, why is he running away from God? Why does he have, what's the source of all these hurtful, harmful, destructive emotions in his life? What's the source of all his disconnection with God and with others? What's the source of him not being able to love others? What's the source of him not being able to see Ninevites as human beings? What's the source of it all? Why is Jonah so unhealthy? And the answer is he's spiritually blind. The answer from this text is he doesn't get, I am Nineveh. Because he's not able to see that, it keeps him from being a fully functioning human being. How do we know this? Watch. He dutifully obeys outwardly. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah arose, went to Nineveh. But he doesn't obey inwardly because in chapter 4, it displeased him. He was angry. He said, this is why I didn't want to go. This is what I was telling you. This is why I left. This is why I fleed. So what reaches Jonah's heart? What's going to change Jonah? What's going to turn his outward obedience, his dutiful obedience, to a heartfelt obedience? What will make the difference? I am Nineveh. Makes the difference. So do you see what this means? What basically this text is saying is that repentance is not just for Nineveh. Repentance is for the Christian. Repentance is for pastors. Repentance is for churches. Repentance is for church leaders. Repentance is for church children. Repentance, as Luther says, in this, his very first theses of all the 95, they're so popular, right? The very first one, he says, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ wills that the whole life of Christians, believers, be repentance. So what makes you a healthy Christian? This is phenomenal. What makes me a healthy Christian? What makes us a healthy church? Repentance. When you and I are able to be able to feel deep in our bones, I am Nineveh, you are healthy. Your heart now gets reached. Your heart now gets engaged. You now are able to move towards people and actually love people. You now have a stance that, I don't deserve this. And you can work and do the hardest things. You can endure. I am Nineveh. Repentance, what is it? Jonah's answer, being overthrown. The doctrinal answer, finally living in reality with yourself. Jesus' answer, I am Nineveh. Look at verse 4 again. Let's look at that sermon one more time. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is an amazing message. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, but I want you to work at the, look at the word overthrown. It has two meanings. And it, when you get to all the scholars, they're just like, oh, which one is it? 
And that's what's so incredible about the scriptures. So you have one word saying two things. You know what the hardest thing is for a teacher? The hardest thing for a teacher is to say two things at the same time. It's so hard to say one thing that's true, another thing that's true. But when you say the one thing that's true, everybody's thinking the other one's not true. Think of all the important doctrines of the church. You start talking about justification. Everybody starts thinking about sanctification. But I can't talk about sanctification while I'm talking about justification. But I need to talk about sanctification because everybody's thinking about it when I'm talking about justification. How do you say two things at the same time? Bingo. Overthrown. One meaning. Destruction. The other meaning at the same time deliverance. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So which one is it? The answer is yes. So what is this message doing? This is unbelievable. (laughs) What this message is doing, it's overthrowing Nineveh. First it overthrows them, I am Nineveh, first time. Then it overthrows them a second time. Oh Lord, deliver us. That's what they say, right? Go on. Next, verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believe God. Do you see that word, believe God? That is exactly the same Hebrew phrase. It's very, very important throughout Israel's history because that what was said of Abraham. It's the mark of genuine faith in a God of grace. It's the mark of genuine faith in a God who delivers. And so in one sense... They're feeling that they're Ninevites and they're feeling that they're the chief of sinners and they're feeling that they're stained with sin. And then because of that, they're actually looking and calling upon deliverance. Deliver me, O Lord. It gives them faith. Jonah Scholar, who's becoming my favorite one, this guy named Kevin Youngblood, this is how he ends uh, his study of Genesis 3, of this passage. Here's how he ends it. He says, That Nineveh was converted to God of Israel, to the God of Israel through Jonah's preaching, remains historically unbelievable. That such an enemy should be transformed cannot be explained in ordinary human terms. That is, in fact, the portrait that the text paints for us. This is not accomplished in ordinary human terms. It is an extraordinary, even a supernatural event. It is not based on spectacular preaching. It's eight words, five in Hebrew. It is a work of God and of his extravagant love. This is the hope of the book of Jonah. Listen to what he's saying. May God overthrow all his enemies. God overthrows you in repentance. And then God overthrows you in deliverance. Deliver me, O Lord. So why does God do this, though? Let's go back to Jesus' sermon, his interpretation. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh was not overthrown because someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was not overthrown because someone greater than Jonah is here. 
you are not overthrown because someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Jonah was overthrown. So you wouldn't be. And he was overthrown on the cross to overthrow the Nineveh in you. So that cosmic sentence of condemnation he takes. And then the stain of sin that harasses us all the days of our life, he also takes. But gives you a deliverance that is constantly giving you a life of, I am, I am Nineveh, and then, oh Lord, deliver me. And then that's how you live the Christian life. So repentance, what is it? It's being overthrown, Jonah's answer. The doctrinal answer is finally living in reality with yourself. Your answer, here's your answer. I am Nineveh, deliver me, O Lord. And here's Jesus' answer. I am your Nineveh. I was overthrown for you, so now you can get to work. So now you can parent. So now you can be a good citizen. So now you can learn to love. So now you can work hard at your marriage. So now you can learn how to parent your children. So now you can be a good student. And now you can be free to play football. And now you can be free to do the things you like. Now you can endure suffering. Now you can learn how to handle stress because the overthrowing is done. Amen.